Okay, today we're going to be in the book of Judges. Tonight we're going to be in the book of Judges. Judges 7. The last time we covered Judges, we were in Judges 6, which marked the beginning of the Judge Gideon and his commission. And tonight we're going to learn about this interesting judge of Israel, a little bit more about him. Uh, in the book of Judges, he is one of the ones that the most is written about. So, you know, he's a very interesting life. Uh, and like I said in prayer, we can look at Gideon's life and really all of us could look at his life and see a little part of us there. And it's so cool because it just shows you how, you know, God uses the weak and the frail and the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. When we're humble, God can use us. So um, we're going to jump right into it in chapter 7, starting with verse 1. Then Jerubbaal, that is Gideon, remember they nicknamed him Jerubbaal, which means Baal's antagonist, because he took down the, uh, you know, the false god Baal's idols and all that stuff. Uh, and that's a good nickname to have. He fought against the, the false gods and he fought on the side of the true God. And all the people who were with him rose early and encamped beside the well of Herod, so that the camp of the Midianites was on the north side of them by the hill of Morah in the valley. And the Lord said to Gideon, The people who are with you are too many for me to give the Midianites into their hands, lest Israel claim glory for itself against me, saying, My own hand has saved me. Now, therefore, proclaim in the hearing of the people, saying, Whoever is fearful and afraid, let him turn and depart at once from Mount Gilead. And 22,000 of the people returned, and 10,000 remained. A few things are happening here. In chapter 6, we left off with the Midianites, who were, of course, against Israel and their cohorts, gathering in the valley of Jezreel to attack the children of Israel. Now, if you're geographically, if you can picture... Israel, you know, you have the two big, you have the Mediterranean, and then to the east you have the Sea of Chenereth, which is also what we know of the Sea of Galilee. It's changed many a times. And then you have the Dead Sea below that. But just below the uh, Sea of Chenereth or the Sea of Galilee, about 10 miles to the south, and a little bit to the west is where all this activity is taking place. Okay? What's significant, the first thing, is that the Midianites are in a valley. Now, if you know anything about military or tactics or, you know, warfare, it's not a good place to be in a valley. But Israel's enemies are there now. And the children of Israel attack from a higher elevation, from a mountain uh, portion. Now, this may indicate, and I'm speculating here, that the Midianite leadership were so overconfident, so prideful, so haughty, because they've raided Israel so many times, thinking they're they're not going to even resist that they just kind of did something that was militarily foolish going into that valley. Just, it just shows you the, the foolish and the folly of pride. The second point is Gideon has a good number of volunteers, 32,000 fighting forces, but God says it's too many. Why? Well, because Jeremiah 17.9 tells us that the heart of man is desperately wicked and is deceitful. Who can know it? But God tests the heart. He searches the minds. You know, God, God knows these things because man always wants to take credit for stuff. So if God does a great thing in my life or your life, sometimes we will, in a, in a moment of foolishness, even as Christians, wow, it's because I'm smart. Wow, it's because I had a good idea. Wow, it's because of my talent. But let's not forget that God is the one that endowed us with those talents and that intelligence. 
So the first paring down that God does, he says basically, whoever is afraid, let him leave. Amen. Now we can look at that in a secular fashion. Okay, in any military, there's always going to be soldiers that don't want to fight. Any military, no matter where you are, maybe the Spartans was different. Those guys love to fight. But for the most part, in any military, you have soldiers. They don't want to fight, you know, um, and they wish they had the opportunity to leave. And if you leave those soldiers with the other soldiers, it has a tendency to demoralize the troops. Even Deuteronomy 28 says if they want to go home and they're afraid, let them go home. <laughs> because you're, you have a few extra bodies, but to keep them is not worth it. Because they're really kind of going to pull the other guys down. They're going to drag their arms down. So let them go. In a spiritual sense, and again, it would be a shame if we didn't look at the Bible, if we didn't look at the Old Testament as not just a history book, but the Word of God. And we can always take the Old Testament. We, oh, the Old Testament, it's historical. In any portion of God's Word, we can take that and apply it to our lives, even as Christians. In a spiritual sense, there are people who may be serving God and may be afraid. Maybe they're really not responding to the call of God. Maybe they're doing it because other people are doing it. And they just have fear in their hearts. Now, I want to say this, and I'm going to speak for Pastor Anthony back there. And I told him before we did our study tonight, I said, I'm going to speak for you tonight. This goes to show you the trust that he has for me. He goes, yeah, whatever. He didn't even ask me what it was about. <laughs> but I'm going to tell you right now, I have no fear nor does Pastor Anthony when it comes to giving God's word and wherever God takes us in this church. And this is so appropriate because uh, if you were there on Sunday, I talked about how for the summer, for the most part, they're doing construction in a school that we have our church in and they're moving us to another school. Now, for some, that might cause fear and panic. Whoa, what's happening to the church? Nothing. We're moving to another school. After eight weeks, we'll be back here. <laughs> we have a good reputation among the school. They think we're great tenants. And you know what? Maybe one day the Lord will find us a building. But either way, I can tell you right now that the word of God will continue to go forth in this church. I don't care where the platform is. I'm going to preach the word of God. So. So 10,000 remained. Um, that means less than one third of the original number. I know my, my son loves numbers. Um, but so you have 32,000. Now you're left with 10,000. Um, again, they signed on. And it's amazing how many of them were afraid. Hey, guys, hear my words. Anybody who's afraid and wants to go home, go ahead. Now, if you're, you're Gideon, right? 32,000. And you're only about 20 to 25% of what the Midianites have to begin with. It's one in four, right? Now you're saying, hey, who, whoever's afraid, go home. And, and more than two-thirds of your troops leave. That's got to be a little disheartening. See, what I love to do in the scripture, I just loved God's word. I love to put myself in that position and almost kind of try to think what these people are thinking. Wow, look at all those people. They just left. Now, Gideon was fearful to begin with, and he just loses two-thirds of his fighting forces. Verse, uh, verse 4, excuse me. And the Lord said to Gideon, the people are still too many. Bring them down to the water, and I will test them for you there. Then, there it, will, then it will be. That of whom I say to you, this one shall go with you, the same shall go with you. And of whomever I say to you, this one shall not go with you, the same shall not go. So he brought the people down to the water. And the Lord said to Gideon, everyone who laps from the water with his tongue as a dog laps, you shall set apart by himself. Likewise, everyone who gets down on his knees to drink. And the number of those who lapped, putting their hand to their mouth, was 300 men. But all the rest of the people got down on their knees to drink water. Then the Lord said to Gideon, 
By three hundred men who laughed, I will save you and deliver the Midianites into your hands. Let all the other people go, every man to his place. So the people took provisions and their trumpets in their hands, and he sent away all the rest of Israel, every man to his tent, and retained those three hundred men. Now the camp of Midian was below him in the valley. So here's the second pairing down. You've got this odd, um, this odd, uh, what would you call that? Um, what do you call when you a job interview? Okay, for lack of a better word, this test that he puts these men through. You got guys who are on all fours drinking the water, which was about 9,700 men, and you got about 300 men who lapped the water with their hands. Okay, what we find is God pairs it down to 300 men. And what he does is he goes, he uses less than 1% of the original number to wipe out Israel's enemies. Okay, now we got 300 going against 130-something thousand Midianites. So now when the victory comes, these guys can't say, hey, we're just superior fighters. You've got to give credit to the Lord. Now there's been, if you've been reading the Bible for some time, you've heard the speculation that the guys who were vigilant and they had the hand to the mouth, you know, those were the ones that God could use, whereas the other guys were just kind of, you know, licking it up like a dog. So whatever. I, I don't know. I wouldn't put a whole lot of stock in that, but it, I think it just was a basic separation that the Lord used. Verse 9. And it happened on the same night that the Lord said to him, Arise, go down against the camp, for I have delivered it into your hand. Past tense. It's already done deal, Gideon. Took care of it. But if you were afraid to go down... Go down to the camp with Pura, your servant, and you shall hear what they say. And afterward, your hands shall be strengthened to go down against the camp. Then he went down with Pura, his servant, to the outpost of the armed men who were in the camp. Now the Midianites and Amalekites, all the people of the east, were lying in the valley as numerous as locusts, and their camels were without number, as the sand by the seashore in multitude. And when Gideon had come, there was a man telling a dream to his companion. He said, I have just had a dream. To my surprise, a loaf of barley bread tumbled into the camp of Midian. It came to a tent and struck it so that it fell and overturned and the tent collapsed. Then his companion answered and said, this is nothing else but the sword of Gideon, the son of Joash, a man of Israel. For into his hand, God has delivered Midian and the whole camp. So after all the tests... After all the signs, the fleeces, the sacrifice, the questions, and especially after the command to Gideon from God to take these people, shouldn't Gideon have trusted the Lord? God said, if you are still afraid, he said, I've already taken care of it, but if you're still afraid, take poor your servant, go down into the enemy's camp and check out what's going on, the chatter. It shows how patient God was with Gideon. And really, it shows how patient God is with us. Because honestly, who can sit here and raise their hand and say, you know, I'm, I'm fearless. I've never been in that position. You know, I, I've needed the Lord to reassure me a few times in certain situations. Gideon was still afraid. And in some ways, we can still be afraid. And even if we don't say it and we don't show it, our actions show it. Okay? I, um, you know, it, it is a test. Uh, I'll, I'll just tell you just something between me and my son at eight years old. And I, it, you, you could say this is desensitization therapy and it's really not child abuse. So let me just say it ahead of time. 
he, he's a little, you know, he's, the dark bothers him. So once in a while, I'll take a walk with him at night. And his, we, we live on a country road, and it's dark. And I'll hold his hand, and we'll walk through this one street where these, these ominous trees that, that overhang. And even the moonlight and the starlight is kind of blocked out. And all you can hear is the rustle of the critters in the woods and stuff. And I know he's a little afraid, but he's holding my hand, so he feels that, that assurance. But it's kind of like a mixed bag with him. And he's so honest, he can't lie to me. I'm like, Josiah, are you afraid? He goes, yeah. <laughs> but he's not terrified, so it's not child abuse. <laughs> but, you know, I mean, I want him to just say, you know, Daddy, I'm fearless. I, I got your hand. And it's so amazing because I can see so many parallels. And God has shown me so many parallels through him and me or him and us and me with my son. And we do that, too. God has, he has our hand. I mean, he's holding us and he's taking us. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. But if we're honest with ourselves, sometimes in the valley of the shadow of death, we do fear a little bit, don't we? And God has us close, but he's taken us through those dark times. And even there are times like Gideon, we still say, Lord, I'm still a little afraid. It's interesting. Verse 12. The children of Israel go up against at least 135,000 of these uh, Midianites, Amalekites, um, people of the east, according to the Judges 6, 7, and 8. Uh, and they also have camels. Now, the funny thing about warfare before the cool stuff like tanks and planes and smart bombs was they used animals. The, uh, the Romans fought against the Carthaginians and they had elephants. Imagine that in those days. The uh, Greeks fought against the Indians and they had elephants. And if you had a cavalry, right, the horse mounted guys and another army didn't, you know, you know who was going to win, the guys on horse, you know. So it's just the way it was. And camels, well, you ever see a camel up close? You might say, what are they afraid of camels for? These guys had all these camels. Camels are big, they're ugly, they're nasty, and they eat really sloppy, and they dribble stuff all over you. And, you know, you've got a height advantage. So not only do you have, they're outnumbered, now it's got to be like close to 20 to 1 or even more. Now they have all these camels there, right? So it's a problem, or it's a little concerning. Verse 13. The dream of these two men in the enemy camp is one guy says, hey, I had a dream, and this barley loaf tumbles down into the camp, and it knocks down the tent, and boom, it's just a big problem. It's just destruction. One thing about a barley loaf, a barley loaf was for poor people. Rich people didn't need a barley loaf. They could have other grains and, and meats and all this kind of stuff, but the, the very, very poor person used a barley loaf to sustain him. That was his basic preservation, water and barley loaves. That's all they could afford. So what it shows here is that a barley loaf was a representation of Gideon as a weak but chosen vessel. A weak but chosen vessel. And when I think about who God uses in ministry, if God had a, um, a call to, to a job, you know, if God put out in the paper... I want, want people to come and serve me. Probably the first thing he would put would be no experience required. <laughs> or preferably, I don't, want you to have to, I don't want you to know anything because I'm going to fill you up. I don't want you to come with your pride and your self-righteousness and your haughtiness. I'm going to take care of you. I want you to come as an empty vessel, job description, because I'm going to fill you with me and my son Jesus and the Holy Spirit, and together we're going to do great things. This way, when you, when you have the victory, you can't look at yourself as if it was something you did. Pretty impressive. Verse 14. We see also that the Lord already placed fear into the hearts of the Midianites. We also saw the same thing with the Canaanites. 
The children of Israel were afraid when they were on the, um, the southwest corner initially, when they went into, uh, was it Kadesh Barnea the first time? Uh, and uh, anybody know Kadesh Barnea? That was the first entrance, right? Ten spies? Anybody? Shake your head. Yes, no? <laughs> Pretty sure that was it. And they said, boy, these people are like giants. They're scary. But we, they, we found out later, when the children of Israel finally came into Canaan, that all those years the Canaanites were afraid of the children of Israel. They had the victory, and they blew it, right? So don't be surprised if you're on the side of righteousness that, listen, as Christians, we're not looking to strike terror in the hearts of people we don't like. But if you're on the side of righteousness, don't be surprised what the Lord can do in somebody else's heart. And, and you know, he may take us and he may test us, but the victory has already been won. Okay, it's past tense. Verse 15. And so it was when Gideon heard the telling of the dream and its interpretation that he worshipped. He returned to the camp of Israel and said, Arise, for the Lord has delivered the camp of Midian into your hand. Then he divided the 300 men into three companies, and he put a trumpet in every man's hand with empty pitchers and torches inside the pitchers. And he said to them, Look at me and do likewise. Watch. And when I come to the edge of the camp, you shall do just as I do. When I blow the trumpet... I and all who are with me, then you also blow the trumpets on every side of the whole camp and say, the sword of the Lord and of Gideon. This is really cool. So Gideon hears the the men speaking. He hears the dream. I could just imagine him getting really excited. Oh, boy, I don't think I need to see any more signs or have any more fleeces. Lord, I get it now. I get it. So he hears the dream, he hears the interpretation of the dream, and this is a picture of God's reassurance. In the midst of fearful full times, if we're in Christ, the Lord, can give us, the Lord will give us a spirit of peace. And verse 17, this is really good for ministry. Gideon basically says to the people around him, to the people who are under him, that he's leading, he says, watch me and do what I do. Now there's a lot to this. Because they could have said, well, that's stupid. I'm carrying a, a clay jug with a torch inside, and I got, mother hand, I got a trumpet, and the sword is dangling from my belt. Well, what happens when I get attacked? I didn't need a commentary for this. I just know human nature, and I could see people saying that. Well, if they attack us, what do, what, I, I can't get to my sword. I've got to drop the trumpet. And what, what is this stuff for? This is stupid. But you know what? They trusted their leader. There's going to be times where your leader tells you to do something and just do it, you know, especially if you're in leadership and you're and you're subservient to another leader and you trust that leader. And that that leader is a man or woman of God. And they say to do it. Sometimes you just got to do it. I have to say that I am blessed to have probably one of the best assistant pastors that are out there. The best. And I see some head shake and he's he's great. Pastor Anthony. And let me tell you something. If I asked Pastor Anthony to do something unbiblical, he'd tell me to take a walk. Okay? And that doesn't mean we agree on everything. But he trusts me. We've developed a relationship. He knows that I'm grounded in the Word of God. And if I say, Aunt, you've got to trust me on this one, just do it, he does it. And this is awesome. This is a great picture of ministry. It doesn't mean Anthony's a bobblehead. Yes, Joe. Yes, Joe. He doesn't do that. <laughs> he doesn't. I don't want that. That's ridiculous. But you, you can tell if your leader, if you're the leader and you have leaders under you and they're yoked with you, you can tell if they're yoked with you by this particular test. Follow my lead, 
do it. And it's not saying that this is what we would always do. That's a dictatorship. But there's going to be times where, boom, this is what I need you to do. Amos 3.3 says that um, how can two walk together unless they're in agreement? Another good scripture for ministry. Okay. The second point is um, do what I do in my example. And my example to you is, and I say this all the time from the pulpit, and I just pound it, pound it, pound it, pound it. There's so many churches with so many ideas and so many things to do and so many priorities. You know what? I'm a simple guy. I'm very simple. Ask my wife. Basically, it's this. It's the Word of God. It's being in the Word. It's being in prayer. It's asking the Lord to fill you with the Holy Spirit. And if that's what you're doing, being a good example, then you know what? The Lord will handle the rest. All the extraneous, extraneous stuff, is going, it's going to come. But especially with a young church like ours, we've got to be grounded in the Word of God. If, if, if years go by and I'm finding that people aren't grounded in the Word of God, I failed. I failed my Lord. Because that's what we need to do. That's what I want to do. Okay, verse 18. You see the proper order. It's the sword of the Lord and the sword of Gideon. Let's never get that backwards. It's not the sword of Joe and the sword of the Lord. It's the sword of the Lord and then anybody else who comes after that. God always gets the glory. Always gets the glory. And my wife is good for this because I'll say, you know, am I getting... If I'm, if I'm getting a little kooky or if I'm um, getting a little prideful, she's very quick to, you know, to catch that. And that's good because I need that. We all need that. And we should, we should just be transparent about that. We should have accountability. If we're married, there should be accountability. If we're men, there should be accountability. If there's women, there should be, we, there should be accountability. Because we have to hold each other in check. I mean, it just has to happen. Verse 19. So Gideon and the 300 men who were with him came to the outpost of the camp at the beginning of the middle watch, just as they had posted the watch. And they blew the trumpets and broke the pitchers that were in their hands. Then the three companies blew the trumpets and broke the pitchers. They held the torches in their left hand and the trumpets in their right hand for blowing. And they cried, the sword of the Lord of Gideon. Man, they, they, they were good at following instructions. <laughs> These guys were right on. wasn't a lot to ask them, but they did it. And every man stood in his place all around the camp, and the whole army ran out and cried out and fled. When the 300 blew the trumpets, and the Lord set every man's sword against his companion throughout the whole camp, and the enemy fled to Beth Acacia, toward Zerarah, and the border of Abel Meholah, and by Tabith, and the men of Israel gathered together from Naphtali, Asher, and all Manasseh and pursued the Midianites. So here's the scene. Kind of just like the way I described it. They no doubt had some type of utility belt with a sheath and a sword. And you only got two hands. Uh, they got the, the clay pitchers. They got a torch inside. Probably some rudimentary thing made with sticks and some you know, cloth and dipped in some type of flammable material. You know, I'm guessing. And then on the other hand, they got a trumpet. So what happens is, at the signal, they're, they're up in the high, right? Now, you've got to get this picture, because I'm very good. With, I like to visualize. It just makes me happy. I don't know. I just like to do it. So you've got, you got the bad guys in the camp in the valley, and you've got some type of mountainous or elevated system, and you've got the children of Israel, 300 men. They're in three companies, each of 100 guys, and they, they got the signal, and they're watching uh, Gideon, and they got the trumpets, and they got the thing, and boom, they break the, the, the pitcher. All of a sudden, at the same time, the torches go up. All of a sudden, if you're in the, in the valley, you see all of a sudden this light all around you, and they're blowing the trumpet. So it's a psychological effect. 
it's, it's audio, it's visual, and it's, it's a psychological effect going on here. And it's an amplified effect. Now, just to give you a little bit on the amplification issue or process, I believe I have my, um, my inventors right. I think it was Thomas Edison. And what he did was he had a lamp, um, you know, a lighted lamp on the table, and he took a mirror out and he put it on one side of the table, and he took a mirror and put it on the other side of the table, and what he found was that little lamp, that little candle was amplified. It brought more light into the room. You know, Edison was a genius, and they thought he was a dummy when he was in school because probably they didn't challenge him. But he put, then he started putting mirrors all around, and he was able to really amplify the light. If you go to a junkyard, don't do this to your, your composite beams because they're very expensive and you break the glass. You'll see that the bulb is in the center and all around there are all these mirrors. They're all this shiny material and they're all angled in such a way that they amplify that little bulb and send it straight out. And you could see it at night when you turn your headlamps on. Okay, back to the story. <laughs> this is why I have notes because I'll go way out here. Back to the story, it was an amplified effect. Um, no doubt God told him to do it. No doubt he said to, the, to his people under him, I don't have time to explain it all to you. Just trust me on this. Do what I do. And they did it, and it was great. They terrified the heck out of the people in the valley. They, they started running and bumping into each other, probably you know, running the sword through each other, not knowing if it was the people coming down the mountain, and it worked. Verse 22. God added confusion to the enemy. Now, could God have just wiped these people out in one shot? Was it um, 186,000 Assyrians in one night? I remember one angel just wiped them out, killed them all. Was it 186,000, right? Um, could God have done that? Sure, he could have done it. But oftentimes God allows us to be a party to his victory. You know, I mean, if we're humble and we want to be used by God, oftentimes God will allow us to be a party to that victory. So he wanted the men to do their thing, and he said, just, it's, a, it's, a, it's an interesting idea, just do it. Wait till you see the results, and boom, they just had complete victory over these people. Much, um, you know, again, it's, the question comes down to this. Are we interested in achieving victory for the Lord? That's what the question comes down to. We can be, we can go through our Christian life and, and just kind of, you know, do the thing, do the do, whatever, or we can live the victorious Christian life. We can achieve the victory that God wants us to achieve. And it's, what's probably interesting is, and again, I'm speculating, no doubt that these 300 maybe went back to their villages, back to their families, back to their friends, and said, you should have seen what happened. The Midianites were in the valley, and we did it, did, did, and we blew the trumpet, and they just scattered, and then we chased them down. Oh, my goodness. Again, I don't know that this happened, but if it was me, I wouldn't be able to stop talking about it. And I wonder how the, the, 32, or the, um, the 20, uh, 22,000 felt that left out of fear. Oh, man, you've got to be kidding me. Oh, so you're saying that the Midianites aren't there to harass us anymore? Really? Wow, you mean every, every last one of them? Oh, man, I, I should have stayed. I should have stayed. should have stayed, right? Again, it's just putting myself into the situation. So there's Christians that could be like those 22,000s that left. And said, oh, wow, really? The Lord did that? Wow, the Lord did that with the church? The Lord did that with your family? Oh, that person got saved? Oh, wow. Yeah, I should have stayed with it. Right? Verse 24. Then Gideon sent messengers throughout all the mountains of Ephraim, saying, come down against the Midianites and seize 
from them the watering places as far as Beth Barah in the Jordan. Then all the men of Ephraim gathered together and seized the watering places as far as Beth Barah in the Jordan. And they captured two princes of the Midianites, Oreb and Zeb. They killed Oreb at the rock of Oreb and Zeb. They killed at the winepress of Zeb. They pursued Midian and brought the heads of Oreb and Zeb to Gideon on the other side of the Jordan. So Gideon puts out a call, um, you know, was he vindictive? Was he said, ah, you know, you guys didn't help us, forget you. He puts out the call and he, you know, that's a gracious man. That even though they weren't there in the beginning, uh, he, he gets them involved and he gives them another chance. That's kind of neat. So he puts the call out to finish them off and cut off the potential escape. This wasn't a half-hearted victory. This was a test in faith in God. Uh, Deuteronomy 32.30 says that one soldier will, will kill a thousand men and two soldiers will put 10,000 to flight as long as their foundation is on the rock. And Hebrews 11.6, which is a great scripture, says, but without faith it is impossible, impossible, it can't happen, to please God. For he who comes to God must believe, first, that he is, he exists, and two, that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. So I think this comes down to Gideon's your average guy. I mean, Gideon is made out to be a superhero, as is Samson, as is a lot of these biblical characters. Even the disciples, they were just regular people like you and me. It it goes to show you that God doesn't necessarily need big numbers. And he doesn't need big people. And he doesn't need big name people. And he doesn't even need important people. Okay? He uses humble people. He uses people who are empty. He uses people that are broken. He uses people that, that say, oh, that I'm really nothing, but, but Lord, I'm willing to give it a try. There's a difference between somebody who, who says, I don't feel like it as a laziness versus somebody who says, you know what, I'm least in my clan. And, but you know what, Lord, with you and me together, I'm willing to give it a shot. Those are the people he's looking for. He puts out the call and he says, I need people to help me out. I want, to, I want you to share in my victory, but I don't want any experience necessary. That's the kind of people God uses. And with that faith in God, we're able to achieve that victory. Let's pray. Father in heaven, Lord, as we come before you tonight, I just, um, probably one of my favorite scriptures that I've taught is is about Gideon, Lord. Um, And it just goes to show that, you know, Pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. And, and God, he can't use us when we're like that. He can use us when we're willing to say, Lord, I don't have a whole lot to offer. You know, I'm no genius when it comes to ministry. But you know what, Lord, if I know you're with me, I'm going to do it. And Lord, that's my prayer. My prayer is, Lord, I'm not going to do this as a pastor unless you're with me. You've got to be in this. And that should always be our heart's cry that, Lord, we need you with us, Lord, and that we would seek you, Lord, because all who seek you will find you. And, Lord, I just pray that this is something that we can take with us, Lord, tonight and apply it to our own lives and our own families and our own small family units, our own friendships, our own whatever the case may be, Lord, that we would apply your word as always. And, Lord, I just pray, Lord, as there's many who need your touch and need your wisdom, Lord, We do pray a lot for healing, Lord, but I pray for wisdom. I pray for wisdom for me to be able to to run the church, to to give the word of God, to come up with something fresh and exciting and application. And I pray for wisdom for everyone else, Lord, that 